welcome to Thought Share, a safe space to share your thoughts on topics that matter to you. So today we're going to be talking about Brexit. Yes, remember those days? It seems like a lifetime ago, but it's still very much part of our lives. But more specifically, we're going to be talking about the transition period and trade negotiations. So where are we at and what on earth is going on? So joining me in my quest to find answers is founding director of Simple Politics, um, Tassel here. And we're also joined by Benji, um, who's journalist at Feature Story News. Welcome, both of you. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, well, first of all, after many delays, so obviously we officially left the EU on the 31st of January. Um, we're currently in negotiations over trade at the moment. But do you feel that that's kind of been left on the back burner, you know, while the pandemic's kind of taken centre stage? I mean, Tatum, what are your thoughts about that? I think that um, the British people couldn't give two hoots about Brexit at the moment. Um, I post, you know, so civil politics, the social media platform, I post about what's going on in politics. And uh, if I post about Brexit, nobody nobody cares nobody sees it no one no, like it's completely irrelevant to their lives uh but i don't think um uh, mr barnier or mr lord frost excuse me um who are chief negotiators i don't think they quite see it the same way so they've been they've been ticking along even if the public don't care mm. benji any thoughts to add to that what were your assessments yeah, I think that's right. I mean, practically, there was some interruption to the Brexit proceedings because of coronavirus. Um, and, and even though there have been, has been a bit of fatigue amongst the public, um, the process continued. Um, you know, once Michel Barnier recovered from coronavirus, there was uh, remote negotiations and some in-person negotiations. That's not to say there's necessarily been huge progress, but nonetheless, the process has continued in the background. Do you think that's going to have a knock-on effect um, in future negotiations as we started last week? I don't know if there's been any any movement re- regardless of coronavirus. I mean, it's the same sticking points, really, as we had before this COVID-19 came along. Um, so as for impact in negotiations, things are always better in person, naturally. Um, but I don't know whether there would have been any dramatic progress, were there not to have been coronavirus and were they to have met in person every week in Brussels anyway. That's maybe just a, a pessimistic perspective. Um, but I don't know whether it's actually been the main uh, difference in terms of whether there has been any progress or not. I don't think we're pessimistic at all, Benji. I think that everybody's <laughs> always known that nothing would be agreed until December. Yeah. Like that's, that's how the EU works. That's how negotiations work. We can say we'll have a year of negotiations, but no one's going to give in until they really, really need to. It doesn't make sense to do anything else. So you do think it's going to be quite a last minute um, decision? Well, already, event. it's, it's obvious it's it is. quite last minute now. We are in last minute territory, yeah. Yeah, yeah and Boris Johnson tried to change the last minute because he knew nothing was happening until the last minute. So he said, October the 15th is going to be the last minute. And the EU went, no, it's not. And so October 15th came and it went and we didn't, nothing changed because yeah, he was just trying to pretend, let's have a pretend last minute when things get done. Um, and it, it didn't work. They, they know their clocks. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. There's, a, there's only one date that matters and, and that is the 31st of, of December, really. Yeah. Do you think there is any chance there'll be an extension on the 31st because obviously both sides said categorically no way there's no there's no room for an extension but if 2020 has proved anything anything is possible right devil's advocate here 
I, I, I think that we that what we've also learned is that language is important. No one is going to stand up and say there's going to be a transition deal. What will happen is we will have a very, very thin deal that includes more negotiation next year. So it will be a deal with the transition inbuilt that won't be called the transition. It'll be called the negotiating period or whatever, whatever, whatever they, they, they want it to be because both sides really need a deal. So they will work something out and it will be paper thin so that everyone can go back and say, well, that, that little draw was actually a win for us. So go us. Yeah, it's the foundations of a deal, essentially, just simply to avoid chaos and, and you know, cues at the border and things like this, to, just mm. to get us over the line, because neither, neither want to admit political defeat, as you said. Um, so uh, there won't be an official extension. There'll be what, what many refer to as a fudge, perhaps, where they cobble yes. together something which, uh, which looks and sounds reasonable enough. So it's basically a kind of a party political way of saying we, we, we fulfilled our promises to some degree um, and we'll just figure out the rest later. Well, it's quite interesting because um, it kind of brings me quite nicely to the issue in, in Northern Ireland at the moment. Um, I was reading about it yesterday. They still haven't essentially finished building the border checks. And if, you know, there is an extension and if they do go through with the 31st December, you know, this is the deadline for everything we don't even want a fudge we want a full deal how is this gonna how is this gonna work because are you what, what's your understanding are you confident are they confident that the the border checks are going to be ready come the new year people might recall the term backstop that was kind of Theresa may's big plan for northern ireland that was replaced by the northern ireland protocol by boris johnson that starts on the first of january and under that, Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, but borders the Republic of Ireland, that will continue to follow some European Union rules. It will be out of the EU with the rest of the UK, but it will follow some rules. And that means that there'll be border checks. Uh, sorry, that, me- that means there won't be border checks between the Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Even I'm getting confused. Um, what it will mean, however, is that there are certain goods that arrive in Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK, England, Scotland, Wales, and they will need to be checked. And um, that's where all the complications around taxes and tariffs will take place. But it, it will be easy transition between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Then to make it all confusing, in September, the government said it's going to change part of that. It's going to change the Northern Ireland Protocol uh, by introducing this new law in Parliament. There was a big hoo-ha about whether that would undermine international law. In fact, the government admitted it would break international law in a very specific and limited way. And I think the EU launched a a legal case against that. There hasn't been a huge amount of of developments in that regard. So I think we're assuming um, that that Northern Ireland protocol will go ahead unless something dramatic happens in the House of Lords. So in that circumstance, there's going to be a a kind of a sigh of relief that the the worries that existed over Northern Ireland and whether there'll be checks along that border, which for those who don't know is a seamless border, you can walk across it, you can drive across it, they won't be there. But then there is the added complication of, well, the checks in place from the rest of the UK to Northern Ireland. And there are businesses that fear that they aren't ready and there's going to have to be um, greater government assistance when it comes to that. But, but, even though all businesses aren't kind of set to go necessarily, I think there have been certain measures put in place. And I think the important thing is that there 
there isn't this hard border between the Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, which really would have caused a huge amount of, of complications. So um, after all that, where does that leave us? Well, uh, there'll be, I don't know, I think there'll be relief more than, more than elation that something is in place. And even though there's been kind of political drama around this Northern Ireland protocol, it looks like it's there to stay for the meantime. And that will mean that the farmers on the or those that are driving goods to and from, they won't be disturbed. And it's just about making sure that those tariffs can be um, put in place and everything is orderly over the Irish Sea. It's a lot of ifs, there's a lot of hypotheticals. And we say it's all about it just, you know, being orderly, have those tariffs in place, but, but how, how easy and straightforward is that going to be? Well, it, 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 means, it means that just at the ports, when something comes in and out, you're going to have someone practically, well, not necessarily a man stationed there pressing buttons, yeah. but you're going to have to have some infrastructure at those ports so that things can be scanned, uh, checked, scanned, so on and so forth. And so you're just going to have to put that infrastructure that exists elsewhere um, in, in those ports between you know, Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned obviously about um, breaking international law. Uh, I kind of want to touch on this slightly. I mean, how is the UK faring? Because as you say, we haven't really heard much. Um, and I'm wondering if there's anything you can tell us, you know, will there be consequences? Do we know no, how far they are no. with the, uh, welcome they to politics it's just, it's just it's <laughs> politics isn't it international law is not like like regular law I mean, there's not there is you're not going to get a knock on the door um from a friendly bobby um to cuff your ear uh like you can be taken to international courts but the international courts there's it's very hard to find the people who will say you are punished for this and here is your punishment. And also what would that punishment be? You can't put a country in jail uh, for a bit. Um, so there are no, there are, I mean, the EU, uh, as Benji said, have t- taken, taken the UK to court to say you can't do this, but it turns out they kind of can, if they, I mean, th- the consequences are, reputational and trust when we're building when we're going to other countries talk about trade deals how can they know that we will stick to our side of it necessarily if we've broken the law in this in this specific way um, not just trade deals a, i should say not just trade deals you know who are we to lecture china on what they're doing to, to populations yeah. there when we're breaking it i mean it's a, it's a it's a it's a crude comparison but you know nonetheless the principle remains the same it's about future just future relationships but they will only last as long as this administration yeah. as soon as there's a there's a new lot in power whether it's another conservative prime minister or a different party yeah. they will be able to disavow this yeah. move so it's quite a short term reputational damage. I also want to talk about the Brexit bill as well. Um, So that's a proposed law that aims to create a UK-wide internal market after the Brexit transition period ends on 31st December, um, as it stands at the moment. So in September, it was approved by the Commons, but, you know, obviously the Lords are kind of resisting this and it's lost two more votes um, in the Lords. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, how, how significant is that? How will it impact um, future negotiations and um, the transition period as it stands at the moment? So once the Commons have taken, it'll go back to the Commons and the Commons will put those clauses back in and it'll go back to the Lords. And it can, in theory, keep doing that for up to a year. But the Lords, most Lords 
see their role as a revisionist chamber and and take and when they take things out they're asking the commons to look again at them not necessarily trying to change the final outcome some lords are fighting hard to change the final outcome but but i think maybe the majority of them have will have asked the commons to look again and when it comes back it's quite a it would be it's quite rare for the lords to re-insist on things but this is a big change, and they were big. They were defeated quite heavily, so it is possible that when it's back in the Lords again in December, uh, that they will stick to it and have to go back to the Commons. But the Commons, what the Commons wants, has to go through in the end, and they're not going to delay it for a whole year. The question is whether the Commons drop the the, the new clauses and the changes altogether. But they've they've expended a lot of political energy on this um mind you they they expend their political energy on on dominic cummings and you know he went overnight <laughs> yeah, so what's, yeah. what's to say that they don't just drop this but um uh, you know it seems like for whatever reason uh he want boris johnson and his administration wants to press on and initially when he brought in this whole this bill which as i said was part of the new northern ireland but part not part of but to undermine the northern ireland protocol and um, i thought it was just you know playing politics during the negotiations but yeah. they, they but they've stuck to it they've stuck to it clearly they have some reasoning why they want to maintain a, a system within the UK that, that was different to what was written in the in the law and the legislation. Do you not yeah. think, Benji, that this is still part of negotiations? I think for me, this is still uh, they're, they're pushing ahead with it to tighten the screw on what's on negotiations in Brussels, rather than because they really want to uh, kind of disrupt the protocol that they agreed to. Oh, I don't know. I think initially it it certainly was down to negotiations. There didn't seem to be any legitimacy otherwise. But I I feel now as if um, it's like a classic Boris Johnson government stubbornness that they'll just kind of maintain their position. Um, Because I don't know, I don't know how actually how far it is in terms of leverage when it comes to negotiations. I don't know if it's that making that much difference in in swaying the the main sticking points, you know, with with um, with fishing or with with um, level playing field. I don't know whether that comes into it all too much. Um, and it seems like one of those things that was introduced and has kind of been left by the wayside. Uh, and uh, both both sides have kind of come to terms with it being a reality. Um, what you're suggesting, perhaps, that they're going to try and continue to use it as leverage. I haven't seen that evidence of that. It hasn't been okay. used as a way of trying to move the goalposts in any, in any sort of way. So what is, what is it, you know, the purpose of pushing it, still pushing it forward? Is it just because they've put so much effort in? No, the, well, the, the, the government said, the government says that they want to make sure that the rules within the UK and trading within the UK is still seamless and made easy. They don't want to have those checks that we talked about before within the UK. And, but but if, if they thought that, obviously, then, you know, the argument is, why did you put it in the documentation in the first place and yeah. I think the, the, the claim against the government is well back when they decided to do it there was a whole rush to get it done that maybe they didn't check all the the details and they, they didn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's and that's why they were left with something they didn't really want and that's that's you know that's the impression that lots of people have that rather than a genuine change of mind I'm not sure many people realise that that's what was written in the first place I think I think that I, mean, I think you're absolutely right Benjamin a lot of that um, I have to say a lot of that because I, I can't agree with the bits where you're not being nice about the government um <laughs> uh i think that the northern ireland situation is just incredibly complex to solve they need to be part of the eu in some way and they need to be fully in the uk and those two things are very hard to square and so 
finding a, a protocol or whatever is is really difficult. And the and I think it's possible a bit later to go, oh, maybe that wasn't the best solution, because maybe those maybe because they talk about they talk about in the in, um, in the international markets bill they talk about unfettered access between northern ireland and, and great britain and they just definitely 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 don't want any checks they want everything to be able to flow because it's the internal markets the it's the northern ireland it's the well the international markets bill internal markets bill even i'm listen as i say this i'm losing the will to live <laughs> there is just it's so complicated and there's so little easy answers so few easy answers that i mean that's why i wanted to kind of do this podcast episode because i just wanted to take a step back and figure out where are we at because it's been going on for so long we're in this negotiation period and i suppose going back to the original the very first question which is you know how coronaviruses impact negotiations how long we've got left what the main sticking points are i mean because it hasn't been as you said at the beginning benji like there hasn't really been much um, budging either way and you know as Tassel you said both the EU and the UK it seems just going to wait till the last minute for any kind of movement to be made that's how negotiations tend to go what are their sticking points obvious question but I feel like it's been mixed up so much within the pandemic and this conversation has been lost let's go back to basics what are the main sticking points um, you know what are the UK term the UK's terms and what are the EU's well, this is this is more simple to explain, really, because the fundamentals of the negotiation really have remained as they've been for weeks, stuck on stuck on, I guess, two main issues, you could say fisheries and state aid. State aid is essentially the right for the UK government to offer subsidies um, to, to British companies, to British industries, rather than having its hands tied by the European Union's level playing field demand. So the EU... They want the UK to sign up to these these really strict rules they have in place on on competition. So, um, if any if any British companies are given tariff free access to the EU market, they cannot undercut their rivals in any way. Um, so, and the, and the EU says that without that, without this sort of level playing field, it can't give any free trade agreement to the UK in the same way it's done to Canada. And then with fishing, fishing's an interesting one because um, it's not like this is a massive part of the British economy or of the economies of, of lots of European countries. I think in the, in the UK, it accounts for like less than 1% of GDP. Yeah. But it's always been a really um, central issue to these negotiations. Um, and the, the main uh, difference between the two sides on fishing is that the EU says that... Um, that because UK fishing, fish, fishing waters are really, really great. We have lots of fantastic fish. I clearly know nothing about fish, but you know, <laughs> apparently we have some good fish. And, yeah, exactly. Um, the EU says that, um, this is a direct quote from actually, that any future deal should aim to avoid economic dislocation for the European Union fishermen that have traditionally fished in UK waters. What that means simply is they still want the Dutch and the French to be able to go around in their ships, in their boats, and, and take fish from the waters near our shores. The, the UK says that any deal on fishing must be based on the notion that British fishing, walker, fishing grounds, I should say, are first and foremost for British boats. So what does that mean? Well, pretty much verbatim that th those waters should only be occupied by British fishermen. Um, 
<laughs> and it's quite black and white really because there's not a lot of like ground for negotiation there either you have it open to uh, French and Dutch fishermen or you have it only for British fishermen you can't say well on Wednesdays and Fridays you can share it you know there's got to be a, a line here a line in in the, the, the ocean practically where you say this is where some people go and this is where some people can't go um and, you know, whilst on the level playing field stuff, there can be, I think, a bit of negotiation with fishing. It's, it really is a black and white issue that you either can or you can't be in those waters. And both sides seem pretty determined to get their way on it. Well, both sides are um, the, the EU are really keen to get their way because they've got lots of kind of north coast of Europe countries and port towns the whole everything relies on coming into our waters so if they say okay fine we won't go there that's real poverty and real changes going on and the you and kind of brexit was campaigned on taking back control of our waters yeah so we can't then not take back control of our waters yeah. um and so within these places the uh, the 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 answer is as the eu loves the answer to be quotas yeah. We can catch eighty percent of the fish, or whatever it might be, and that's um, it's it's a quite a boring resolution, and B makes loads of resolutions and loads of bureaucracies and checks and all of this stuff that that the UK fishermen definitely fishing fishing people definitely didn't uh, want. Now, in terms of actual progress being made um so obviously this is still being negotiated etc um so the president of the eu commission i find it's quite interesting because the president of the eu commission has said there's been you know more more movement on really difficult issues after very very slow progress um the uk government previously had said it's about patience um and that they're confident that they will be reaching negotiation and i find this very interesting because most people, although they've come out saying this, most people are saying we're kind of at a stalemate um, and we haven't really made much progress. So has the fact that the president of the EU Commission come out and said that there has been more movement, yes, we've got a bit of a long way to go, but we are making some level of progress. Is this a turning point? Is this good news? Because ultimately, even if we do make these last minute um, negotiations, how long does it take to tie up these loose ends? And no, even no. if we started now, is a month enough to do that? Um, it's, a month is enough. It, it, I, I'm saying no because I don't think that her intervention alone, this is Ursula von der Leyen, um, yeah. is going to change something dramatically. Mm. From day one, there's been a lot of chat about, well, an agreement can be done, time is very short, there's got to be progress, um, we're close to an agreement. It, it, it's all part of the political discourse to try and steer the debate in one way or another um, try to influence the negotiations, try and determine what goes on the front of the Sunday broadsheets. Um, what happened, what matters, goes on behind closed doors uh, in the room between Lord Frost and Michel Barnier, the two chief negotiators. So I don't know whether whatever Boris Johnson says on uh, the BBC flagship show is going to make any difference, nor what uh, Ursula von der Leyen says, unless one of them comes out and says a deal is done, right? That's the big, that's the turning point. Um, so... I, I don't know whether we should pay too much attention to what people are necessarily saying. If we look at practically how much progress there has been and how much there is still left to do, uh, people who want this to be done and dusted, there is a hint of optimism for them there because I think for the most part, the foundations of some sort of um, deal, even if it is a fudge, as we talked about before, are in place. 
apart from those sticking points, it seems to be that most things are pretty much deranged and there has been agreements on, on nearly everything in terms of rolling over all the bits of legislation that we wanted from our previous relationship. And we do have good form at having these last minute changes and last minute um, uh, successes. I mean, you'll recall that last year, Prime Minister Boris Johnson sat down with the leader of Ireland at the time and completely rewrote the backstop to have that Northern Ireland protocol. Now, again, that has been undermined by recent legislation, but the, the point's still there that things can be done, you know, drastically and dramatically. Um, so I think that they'll be able to, to find the time to do what they need to do. That's between Lord Frost and Michel Barnier, or between Boris Johnson and other respective leaders. The complication comes in terms of ratifying all of this. So there's got to be a series of, of, of votes in the European Parliament, all the member states have to sign up to it. Um, and that can be a bit laborious. And I think that some um, representatives from European countries and some MEPs might have their Christmas plans ruined because there could have to be a couple of uh, sittings or virtual Zoom meetings between Christmas and new year just to get those sort of bits over the line because that can take a that, that can take a bit of time i was reading the other day that um that there is a technical i can't remember what the technical term is apologies where they could um they could agree something pending so that so, so to allow those votes to happen in january so they could agree it and then like yeah pending approval this is what we're going to roll out um well, but i I'm don't sure, know i'm sure that i'm sure that's possible because effectively so much of this is unprecedented that you know we're yeah. writing the laws as we go along whether that will be politically viable i don't know mm. um i mean i'm i'm heading to brussels to report on this at the end of december and we've been briefed we've been told that expect meetings to take place essentially oh, they, really? that, normally that normally that's a dead period for news you know you sit back you relax and and you're, you're still full of turkey um <laughs> I, I think that we can we can anticipate that there'll still be some bits going on not to try and find a deal i think it will be done by then it's more about just getting it through the necessary european through. bodies in time yeah but I, I think the other thing about getting things through is all the things that we will then take on from the first um we've had the initial uh, agriculture bill and the initial immigration bill but we need the what are we going to do from january we have we don't know how the points-based immigration system is going to work particularly we don't know what the points are and that's a piece of legislation that will take quite a long time to go through parliament and it's late november mm -hmm. so it's not just being ready for the trade deal it's being ready for the moment that we to coin that phrase again take back control it's and that is some that is an area where the pandemic has made a huge difference because parliament's been caught up with everything else and it's not been um able to get get this legislation through quickly i don't know i mean the immigration bill in particular i have no idea how we plan to, to get that through before christmas recess Mm. And that's on the basis that there is a deal, obviously. In the case of a no deal, there's yeah. even more trouble. I mean, what yeah. are the consequences of that, of, of a no deal? Uh, well, I, let, let's start by saying that the, the government yeah. insists that Britain would prosper mightily if, if we left without a deal. Though when, when, we, when we hear that, we should bear in mind that this is also a government that promised to get Brexit done with an oven-ready deal. Um, and that, uh, you know, there'd be a fantastic outcome for the country. But let's look at what what it actually means if we don't end up with a deal. As, as we've both discussed, I think there's an element of confidence that won't happen and it will come up with some sort of fudge. But let's, let's pretend, hypothetically, it really does 
get to a point where neither can agree what goes on with fishing and we technically leave without a deal, that means that automatically we drop out of the main trading arrangements we had. Single market, customs union, you know, some of which people want to leave anyway, so fine. Um, but that means that all the privileges that come with that tariff-free access free trading across borders, that goes automatically. And that's going to cause a huge amount of disruption practically at the ports, you know, stuff that would automatically have gone through seamlessly, now facing all these tariffs, now having to undergo um, all different sorts of rules that, that, that are overseen by the World Trade Organization. Um, and, and, you know, for those that don't really care about what that means in terms of money and numbers, think about what it means on the ground. That means stuff that you want to buy from different parts of Europe will take just longer to get to you and will be more expensive. The lorries that are carrying it over the border will have to sit there in a queue. There was a great headline I saw that said that Kent in the southwest of the country, southeast of the country rather, could become the toilet of England in less than eight weeks. Because I live, those... um, I live, I live near Dover, so I'm quite well, I'm keen very, on the story. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very sorry because you're, you're about to become the toilet of England. Um, because, because, you know, uh, this isn't a case of a no deal, obviously, because lorry drivers will just be stuck there and 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 have nowhere to go yeah um i mean you know these 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 main roads and laybys will be littered with with bottles of of i don't know urine of excrement if, you, if you're going to keep this stuff in um and so that's that's a big problem and, and the other side beyond the the, the toilet stuff that's going to affect affect your neighborhood so poorly is is um is what happens in you know parts of the city of london for example where hopefully there won't be excrement everywhere but and um, that's going to lose <laughs> its guaranteed access to the eu and that means that all those people that, that rely on the UK service industry, bankers, lawyers, I don't know, chefs, musicians, um, life's going to become more expensive for them as well. It, it absolutely will. I, th I think that the, when you say the government wants to say we're going to prosper, I think the government would also admit that in the short term, there would be some real problems. But it would be a question of building back better, like they've talked about with, um, with yeah. the virus. Well, um, just really quickly, because I know we're just running out of time. What are your predictions uh, for the 1st of January? Where do you think we'll be at? Uh, I think, uh, as, as I say, paper thin deal that can be held up, more negotiations just to sort out a lot more of the stuff. Um, I think that we'll be playing catch up in Parliament uh, with our, our own bits and bobs on top of the negotiations going on uh, over in the EU. I think that once again, at that stage, not that much will change. And really quickly, Benji? I think I'll echo that. Um, you know, with most of Brexit, we think there's going to be some transformation overnight. Not really. We might be under a new relationship with a new sort of name, a Canada Plus type thing. Um, but what does that mean practically? Well, unless you're a fisherman that loses access to their waters, maybe some things will become more expensive, but otherwise we'll plod on and people are far more concerned with coronavirus. Well, that's all for today. So join us next week at 6pm on Wednesday to hear more thoughts at Massachusetts. That, that was Tatum Spiller and Benji Hire. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about Brexit. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThoughtShare underscore or search for ThoughtShare with Olivia Wilson.